Well, hello there and welcome in to the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. Lots to get into. Man, oh man, a scandal with Northwestern football in the Big Ten and a very intriguing media angle to it because who's leading the investigative reporting? A group of students on the Northwestern campus. So from a media standpoint, that is fascinating. We're going to get into all of that uh, here in a little bit. Plus, representatives of the PGA Tour before Congress, as this week is going on, uh, that and a lot more to get into on the program with the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, etc. We're here each and every week going over the top stories in sports media, bringing you personalities, bringing you insight, those that cover it. Uh, I love doing this uh, here as part of the last word on sports media podcast feed. Uh, our buddy George Offman is with me momentarily, but he's with us every week with a different interview with a Chicago Tandra, Chicago slant. And oh, by the way, uh, George is uh, appropriate at all times, but ultra appropriate and important because he did an extensive interview with Pat Fitzgerald that we ran last football season. And man, how appropriate is that right now in the in the terms of the discussion? So anyway, George out every week with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on this podcast feed. This week, the Chicago White Sox uh, marketing and sales director Brooks Boyer is his guest. We into that with George uh, a little bit. Uh, plus, I got a couple of other little things involving the All-Star Game in Chicago with George. I got a lot to talk with George about in a little bit. So anyway, he's on the feed. He comes your way early in the week. We come midweek. And then later in the week, Mike Gill, Phil DeMont, Mullen with the Announcer Schedules podcast. Who does it well uh, on the national level TV and radio? Check those guys out later in the week from the Announcer Schedules Twitter handle, Mike and Phil. So make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're getting us as everything regularly comes out throughout the summer. Um, but we love that, and uh, more and more of you are finding us, so thank you for doing so. All right, all of that is out of the way, and at the forefront is this Northwestern story, and here he is, forthwith, post-haste, without delay, George Offman. Hello, uh, not just on his podcast, on his own podcast this week, but right now here on this podcast to give me some insight on this story. First of all, post-July 4th, how are things in the Windy City where you are based? How is everything right now, my friend? Well, let's see. The White Sox stink. Mm -hmm. The Cubs are in flux. The Bears season is soon to begin, which might be a respite from everything else. And the Blackhawks have arguably the most ballyhooed young player possibly in the history of the game who hasn't skated yet for them. But when he does, he's (laughs) going to be drawing a lot of people into the stands. That's Connor Bedard. Yeah, no doubt. And then we have this Northwestern story, which has come uh, completely unglued. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, as As we went into last weekend, the story had emerged after the investigation by Northwestern into all kinds of allegations, including hazing allegations. And the university president, uh, along with whomever else he consulted, came up with a two-week a two-week suspension, plus some other concessions, including a monitor in the locker room at all times that doesn't report to the football coach or or the football program. And then lo and behold, within a couple of days, this has escalated into not just a two-week suspension. Pat Fitzgerald is all the way fired, and they're going to look to fire him for cause and, and, and are looking to fire him for cause and not pay him. 
All right, George. So your reaction as this evolved, because you were very outspoken and uh, direct on social media. And I want you to say it here on the podcast with how all of this unfolded as Friday became Sunday, became Monday, and the news was out that Fitzgerald was fired. Well, it was pretty stunning to say the least. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like dropping the bomb on Evanston. Uh, and it was amazing how things transpired over the course of time. I think the, the university president might have thought it's a good idea to do a late Friday news drop when people aren't considering it. But when you read that it was a six-month investigation that there were allegations of hazing, albeit they said that the coach didn't know, but that when he got a two-week suspension, that raised a lot of people's eyebrows. That immediately people said, wait a second, wait a second, he's getting a two-week suspension, like a holiday pay while this is going on? Well, thank goodness to four young journalists at the Northwestern Daily who followed this story up and gave us some incredibly horrible, tawdry stories about more than just hazing, but sexual activity and racism. And they were getting tremendous plaudits. And it was at that point, the university president, Michael Schill, who's pretty much new on the job, realized the slap on the wrist wasn't a very good idea. I don't think he knew what the heck hit him. Suddenly, we're going to go through a process of determining what's going to happen next. More information comes out, but pretty much everybody after they read that said, Pat Fitzgerald has to go. He's either going to resign or he's going to get fired. And you have to understand he's getting paid an enormous amount of money. He's got a fairly new contract. I want to say he's got eight years left at over $5 million a year. Well, um, yesterday comes and Pat Fitzgerald is fired. And of course, he responds by uh, getting a attorney because he believes that there was an agreement for just a two week suspension. So uh, this all of this in 72 hours has not only become one of the biggest stories in the country, but it has put Northwestern on the map for the very wrong reasons. This is one of the most um, important universities, not just in this country, possibly on the face of the earth. But what has happened here and along with the baseball team has put Northwestern on notice that they've got a lot of issues, a ton of issues, TJ, and we're just seeing the very beginning of it. All right. So you gave me a lot there and we're going to cover many different facets of how this has been covered, et cetera. Interesting that Shill, the president, met with the player, heard from the player that brought forth as the whistleblower the allegations. And the important thing from the student reporting is there's corroboration everywhere from mm -hmm. other players. There's photographic evidence of of what they were um, advertising in the locker room when they were going yep. to do the sexually explicit hazing ritual. Uh, there's even interesting. This is great reporting. There's interesting uh, dynamic of the code signal that they were using when they wanted a player to be hazed or disciplined was to clap. Whenever that player screwed up or clap around that player, clap up high where everybody could see it, like, okay, you're going to haze this guy for what he just did. And there is evidence on more than one occasion on practice video and elsewhere of Pat Fitzgerald doing the clap, of clapping after a mistake, after something goes yes. wrong, like, you guys need to handle this. Uh, in terms of his deniability, I mean, that's damning on his deniability of this going on. If he's if he's mimicking what the clap is about, I'm circling back to the point. The students 
found this out. They brought it to the forefront. The player then meets with the university president. And it's just fascinating because they're the ones that also found out the racism allegations uh, and reported this on Monday afternoon about how black players on the team, even a black assistant coach, were encouraged, if not told, Hispanic players to change their hairstyle, get rid of their long hair, etc. That's the students reporting this. And when reached for comment, George, you know this, but I want your reaction to it. The university spokesperson admitted they didn't know about that part of the problems and the allegation. And I'm dumbfounded at the other end reading this on what have you been investigating for six months if the students found this out and the racism allegations are even more uh, sensational, I think, when you add to this. All right. So your thought on that, just following up on what I said on the students uncovering things that apparently their own investigation didn't uncover, a six-month investigation. Well, there's even more than that because uh, there was one student, the person who was interviewed for this, the, the, the player that was the whistleblower, told another Northwestern player his intentions were to get Pat Fitzgerald fired. He said, I am going to get him fired. He did. He did for a reason, but he followed through after the, the situation that, that he saw and he was involved in, all the corroboration had to tell you one thing. There is no way in the world Pat Fitzgerald did not know, okay? But either way, let's just assume for a moment he didn't know, he still should be fired because he's in charge of the program. But there's just no way in the world. And who knows how long this has been going on. I mean, they're talking about hazing before Pat Fitzgerald was the head coach. That's right. That's we're right. And about- and by and by the way, they were reporting on Monday in the Daily Northwestern that the stuff with the Latino players, the black players, and the hairdos and the hats, that was going on in 2006, 2007. Yeah. I'm right. getting old. That's 17, 18 years ago. It's before my twins were born. That's how old that that's how long and my twins are about to be sophomores in high school. So this is not just something uh, from last season. All right. So but let's go at it. it. Go ahead. What takes it what makes this worse. There, there's several aspects that make it worse. This is Pat Fitzgerald, who I think it was nine years ago or something along those lines, discussed hazing and how terrible it is in, in college sports. OK. And if I'm not mistaken, he is the president of the college football Coaches Association or something like that. So you can understand the respect that he had with all of this. That and his son, his oldest son, Jack, was going to be playing for him this year. It was something he was looking forward to for years. He's got three boys. And he said, I want to coach all three of them before I make my next move. Remember, he's not even 50 yet. He's never going to get that chance. Mm. And so I wanted to hone in on you interviewing him on this podcast feed. You can go back and search Pat Fitzgerald and get the conversation from last fall, last football season. And what's interesting is you had done that in the off season and we ran it right as the football season was about to begin when they right. were going to play in Ireland yes. of all places against Nebraska in a conference game, a game that they won and then for them, they didn't win on the continental U.S. after that. They lost no, they didn't win. straight after that. Didn't win another game. But let's go back to what you just alluded to. You spent the better part of an hour or more condensed into podcast form, probably 40 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it ended up being, talking with him about his life, about playing for Northwestern, about aspirations beyond to maybe coach in the NFL. 
So uh, again, kind of uh, relive that and at the same time simultaneously tease for people to go back and hear Pat Fitzgerald in his own words with you previously if they want more context. Go ahead. I think this was the end of August, beginning of September. We ran a two-part episode because he was a long interview. And you have to understand, uh, many of us who know him, I don't know him that well, but I've, I've covered some of the games. I mean, you would just never, ever have thought this. He is not only well-respected, um, he's well-liked. He is Northwestern football. He is Northwestern athletics, okay? They built a stunning practice facility. And now they were prepared to uh, finally update Ryan Field, an $800 million renovation, mm. in which I am reading that there are six members of the faculty at the university that want to put a pause on that, and they can understand why. He's a great storyteller. Um, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is great with the media. He's a very likable guy. He was thrust in this position when Randy Walker died suddenly, and Fitzgerald became the youngest head coach ever in Division One. He was 31 years old. I don't think he knew better. I don't know if he was prepared. But the bottom line was he suddenly transformed Northwestern, which I don't know if it ever won a bowl game, to play in 10 of them and to win, I think, the last four of them. They're not a powerhouse football team. He's not a great coach, but he's been a great coach at Northwestern. And he signed a huge deal. And part of the reason he signed that huge deal, TJ, was because he was getting overtures from the NFL. That's and right. So, you know, they, they wanted to keep him. He is, in fact, he is Northwestern sports. That's why this is so big. He's told wonderful stories about his youth, about, you know, as a kid, he loved Superman. So he had a Superman cape and he took a dive off of, I don't know what it was, some 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 uh, little gym outside and, and he damaged his head. He had to wear a helmet for two years. OK, he was he was in a pretty serious situation. A growth helmet to help his head, not a football helmet. I know what you no, mean. Oh, right. right. Medical he was, helmet. He was four, four years old. Um, and the stories he told about playing at Northwestern and being unable to play in the Rose Bowl because he had a broken leg. Uh, he was an All-American. And so when he became head football coach, uh, you know, that was amazing. It was stunning that you know, Randy Walker was a very popular guy who passed away. And as time grew, so did Fitzgerald. And he got, you know, he got them to two Big Ten championship games, which is amazing. But he's also lost a lot of games. In the last four years, I think the last three years, he's lost at least nine games. And as you mentioned last year, they won the game in Ireland and didn't win a game. Now, four wins in the last two years. I'm going to come to this point again here in yeah. a second about being 1-11, making this a lot easier to do than when you're winning and winning big. I worked the Big Ten title game in the COVID-19 crazy year of 2020 when they right. slipped in. Uh, a lot of people believed that Indiana maybe should have been there uh, instead of Ohio State, but Ohio State got in, and they had Ohio State nationally ranked top five on the ropes in that game. I was calling that game with Tiki Barber on national radio for Compass Media Networks in an empty George Surreal, an empty uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, where, where basically they allowed friends and family of the players that were fewer than 500 people there. And we yeah. were calling the game. But Northwestern was actually winning the game in the third quarter for the yeah. chance to be part of the college football playoff, potentially, uh, if, if, they had, uh, if they had won it. That was the high for Pat Fitzgerald recently, and now this is the depths. This is awful. This is uh, this is staining. All right, so a couple more aspects to bring it back to sports media. How shocked are you? And you've been in Chicago sports media for the better part of 40 years. 
that the reporting is not coming from the Chicago Sun-Times or any other outlet, but the student paper in Evanston. What do you make of this? Beat them all and has more of the details and has had more of the details for three or four days and counting. I mean, uh, I'm reading the Chicago Sun-Times article, and it basically is a repurposing of everything the Daily Northwestern found out and is attributing it all to them. And I'm sitting back going, this is the Chicago Sun-Times having to rely on a student paper rather than their own reporting of what well, did or didn't happen. So enlighten me, please. The major newspapers do not cover college sports here. They don't cover Northwestern that way. The Tribune, the Sun-Times, and even the Athletic, I don't think, cover Northwestern. Um, you know, later on in the basketball season when they're you know in the NCAA tournament, then you see that kind of coverage. And the same of when Northwestern was, was good down the stretch. So suddenly they're scrambling. They don't have a guy or a woman who is covering this. And so their news department has to get involved as well. Um, those kids, I mean, what they did, kids, those young adults, what they wrote was amazing. It's great reporting, yes, but it was so revealing. I mean, it was so ugly. And you kept saying to yourself, this is happening at Northwestern. And then more stuff comes out about the racism. And then, you know, a good friend of mine, Danny Parkins, who was the afternoon host along with Matt Spiegel at WSCR The Score yesterday, reveals a whole bunch of stuff regarding the baseball team. And the head coach that was just hired last year from, I think it was the Air Force. I'm, that, I'm not sure about that now. And he went 10 and 40, but apparently he's no bargain either. And he was the first hire by the athletic director, who, by the way, was not available. He was on vacation. I was listening to Michael Wilbon, who, of course, is not only, uh, you know, a, a tremendous journalist, uh, a PTI, but he's also a trustee at Northwestern. So he's been involved in all this and said he was told to stay away. Now, what's going to happen? Yeah, what do you mean? Wilbon says the athletic director, from what he's learned, was told stay away and stay out stay of this. Away. No, stay, stay on your vacation. I think he was, you know, he's out of the country. But. The bungling that has taken place on this mm. campus is astounding when you consider it's Northwestern, when sure. you consider this, you know, the, the, the Medill School of Journalism. And then you think about a, a president who still is not at a press conference. There's been no press conference yet. These people have to face the music. You know, they screwed up really badly. There are a lot of people that say the president's got to go. The athletic director's got to go. Fitzgerald's already gone. Who knows how, how many members of the coaching staff are going to have to go? And then how many players are going to want to say, I want out of here? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And again, the president has only been there 10 months since the beginning yeah. of, or actually like like the first month of the football season, Michael Schill, 
uh, the president has come into this. So, yeah, accountability, a big deal. But back to Will Bond, and then I want to get to Rick Tellender, uh, who you've also interviewed and known forever, who's a yeah. former Northwestern football player, and he teed off on them. But back to oh, yeah. Will Bond, I have not heard the conversation he was having on the podcast you heard. What's the thrust of his reaction to this as somebody as integrated with Northwestern as Michael Wilbon is from Pardon the Interruption, ESPN, et cetera? Painful. There's no question. Very painful to him. I mean, he is, not only is he associated, he comes to every home game, you know, when, when Northwestern plays. He flies in. Well, he has a place here anyhow in Chicago, but he also has one in, in uh, Scottsdale and one in, uh, in, in uh, suburban D.C., so he comes in all the time. I mean, he's not only a member of Northwestern, he is a member of the trustees. And I think so is Mike Greenberg. So when you listen to his voice, it's very painful. There's not much you can defend on what's taking place. You can't. Uh, as far as Fitzgerald goes, that was fate complete. He's not going to get his job back. I don't know whether or not he was fired without pay. We thought there was going to be some kind of financial arrangement here, but I don't think there is because he's, he's going to be going to take this to court um, and hiring a fairly well-known uh, local attorney, uh, Daniel Webb, actually, it's a fairly well-known national attorney who was, I think, defending Fox in its lawsuit um, with the, uh, the voting machine company. Anyhow, that notwithstanding, the, 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 what's crippling about all this is the way it's been mishandled by the university. I mean, it, it's, it's awful. The whole thing is awful. There's been nothing good about it whatsoever, wow. except for the coverage by those young people at Northwestern's Daily. Love the insight of George Offman. Again, tell me a story I don't know is his podcast on this very podcast feed. George, again, a 40-year veteran of radio in Chicago with The Score and with other outlets. Uh, love this guy for what he has brought with, with a great story, not just a good, a great storytelling podcast. And you talked with another guy, that uh, that is integrated with Northwestern, and that's Rick Tellender, famous for Sports Illustrated, famous also for being in the Chicago media and the Chicago Sun-Times. You you interviewed him as an interview subject on your podcast uh, a year or more ago. All right, Tellender, who, again, is a former player, I don't know how many times I've said that, with Northwestern, yeah. he teed off on this situation. I mean, I saw smoke coming off my screen reading it um what was your reaction reading his reaction to the fitzgerald situation the revelations in fitzgerald being fired rick tellender very relevant also from the heart disgusted as well he should be i mean if you are a northwestern grad if you're a northwestern alum you are embarrassed by what's taking place you are angry at what's taking place and rick tellender showed that anger uh there are a lot of people, as you well know, in the media that are from Northwestern. And I've interviewed them on my podcast. Dave Refson, mm -hmm. uh, Mike Greenberg, Michael Wilbon, Rick Tellender. I'm sure there's a, probably a couple of more. I just can't think of them. Um, and, and, and recently, and we will air this in October, Jim Phillips, the former athletic director, who is now the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know, he's been gone for just a couple of years. And the guy who replaced him, was on the job for nine days. I mean, he he had to go because there was a, a situation with cheerleaders that was a tawdry situation. And out the door he went. So Northwestern's track record over the last number of years has not been good. Not wow. at all. 
Wow. A couple more aspects to this. I I liken, again, what the students have done and what they've uncovered to the young woman, Sarah Gannam. That is her name from the from the early 2010s, who was the first reporter and the one paying the most attention to allegations about Jerry Sandusky, the football coach, the defensive coordinator mastermind for Joe Paterno. She was on it. She was on it before everybody else. And she ended up winning a Pulitzer, hello, the highest award you can win, for her initial coverage before it blew wide open what was going on. And again, these students deserve a tremendous amount of credit from the sports media standpoint uh, for what they were able to uncover and whom they were able to get to talk to them and what they were able to corroborate. It is a master class. I thought Tellender's commentary was very interesting because a lot of people that are listening to us may know the name J.A. Adande. J.A. Yes. Adande, a former L.A. Times writer, a former personality on ESPN's Talking Heads TV shows, Around the Horn, Pardon yeah. the Interruption, etc. Well, he is now, if I'm correct, one of the top journalism professors, deans. Clarify for me, George, if you know more. Yeah. And yeah. he's responsible for a lot of these student journalists overseeing all of it, the Daily Northwestern, et cetera. And so Tellender's reference was that J.A. Adande had been talking to him and saying, this is what we teach. This is what journalism is. Even if it is damaging your own institution, your alma mater, the story is the most important thing. And covering it the right way and getting both sides and corroborating it, this this was uh, a master class on how to do it by the students, not the professors, not the teachers. Follow up on all that that I said there, if you would. That's what you try to learn. It's about facts, which escapes a lot of people these days. It's about facts. It reminds me, too, when I was starting at the radio TV school uh, at Southern Illinois University. It's now, uh, gosh, it's going to be 50 years soon. Uh, and I learned right away what it was all about. You, you want to be a pro, you have to act like a pro, you have to perform like a pro. Uh, you may be a college student, but you're really a pro if you want to be. And these young people were pros. They were not intimidated at all, if there was any intimidation involved, in having to uncover this story, which was already really out there part way when the investigation took place. My guess is, and I don't, I don't know exactly what got them going, but when you get a two-week suspension after all of that, that should motivate people to find out what more there Amen. is. Amen. They did, and they've opened – listen, they've opened a can of worms here, TJ. Let's start taking a look at some things down the road. I'm not talking about Northwestern. You now have athletes, damaged athletes at other universities who now have an avenue not to be afraid to come forward and say what may have happened to them. I will not be shocked in the course of the next several months if you see some other coaches around the country get launched, get fired, because there's going to be other issues of hazing and racism and what have you that are uncovered thanks to this. Is that good? Probably. You know, I think we all know that, the, you know, that the, the college athlete and the experience and the hazing, I mean, that still takes place. We know it's not the Northwestern isn't the only school that's got this thing going. But I have a feeling you're going to see a lot more of this going on. And you're not, here's one more thing you're going to see, a lot of lawsuits. Yeah, probably. The, the lawyers and, are going to make a lot of money. Oh, no doubt. The lawyers always make a lot of money. It's a great point. Uh, the 
thing that I come back to is I don't think this is as prevalent anymore. I think the way that things have evolved, especially in the last five years, if not the last 10 years, of you can't put your hands on players anymore, which used to be done. And back to Tellender, he kept referencing the military and how the military does things and trains young soldiers and puts your hands on them <coughs> and scream at them and threaten them with their lives. Uh, and bodily harm and haze them uh, if they don't comply that i mean that day is gone in college athletics it, it and by and large you can't get away with it anymore because the players can go public can go public even on social media almost but immediately it, but, themselves but, but it but it was happening it was happening well it's it does happen i'm not i'm not saying it doesn't happen i'm saying this was a far bigger deal you know this in the 70s yeah. the 80s the 90s it was a different day now that we've gotten into the 2010s and the 2020s uh, in terms of being able to allege this and have it be believed and have it catch like wildfire and have other people corroborate just exactly as this story did, it's uh, I, I think it goes on less and less. All right, so let's bring it back to another point again here as we talk to George Offman about this story because it's fascinating with so many different facets. Your opinion, you know mine, but I want your opinion on the record on the podcast. If Pat Fitzgerald's 11-1 last year, not 1-11, and 11-1 in Big Ten champs, last year and went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, is he still potentially the suspended Northwestern football coach right now? Because everybody would be, we can't get rid of the 11 and one football coach, not as great a season as we just had. What's your take? If the investigation is there and you have the same reporting, he's gone. If you have the same, if you have the investigation and, and you still have the same scenario that there's a two week suspension the story still revolves around what really happened. And if that stuff is true, which apparently it is, he's gone no matter how good his record is. Interesting. I disagree because I, I have seen uh, these situations. I mean, a classic one is Rick Patino, who's now back into college, big time yeah. college coaching with St. John. So Patino, we don't have to go into all of it for 10 minutes, but here's the quick version. Patino is the national championship winning coach at Louisville in the early part of the 2010s, 2013. And then it comes out that one of his former players, who is an assistant, a low-level assistant, the director of basketball operations, is essentially running, uh, how should we say it, a call girl escort service for recruits. And not only is this employee who played for Rick Patino, who's an employee of the basketball staff running this, he's doing it at the campus basketball dorm where, where recruits are coming in and having exotic dances and then having sex with strippers at the campus. This should have been so damning, you would think, that Rick Patino would have been fired. R Rick Patino escaped all penalty. At Louisville, basically in that in that instance, he he was not suspended. He was not he was not fired at that time. And it's because, because they were the, winning and because he, he's him. Maybe. Maybe. Now, I mean, now he's, he's, he's not obviously he's, he's running the program. He's responsible for of his course, athlete. Of course. Uh, and it's happening on ways, their the campus same. and it's happening yes. on their campus. But my point is they were winning and he's him and he's ultra successful. And eventually it was another recruiting scandal about paying a player and this whole FBI stuff with assistant coaches on wiretaps that eventually brought him down even while winning, but he survived. I am convinced. And many others are convinced in large part because he had become so big and they were winning. If you're not winning, if you're not well, winning, you're way, easy to get rid of 
either way, it doesn't really matter because that's supposition. Northwestern wasn't winning, but still there's a big difference between they're not winning and who the guy is because sure. he is Northwestern's way. He's the face of the entire university. He is yep. the face of the university, period. That's yep. bigger than that's bigger than what Patino was in Louisville. This Agreed. guy is the face of the university, and he's Agreed. out, and he's out quickly. And so now what do they do? They're going to have an interim coach, and who do they get long-term? And as you mentioned, I think this is evolving. The, 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 way that the, the way that Michael Wilbon discussed it, I, I believe they are going to be looking for a coach. Now, there are a lot of questions. There are probably some people out there, young, young coaches, what have you, who would love to have this job. The question is, will there be significant penalties against Northwestern? Will the NCAA hand down any kind of penalties? Will the Big Ten hand down some penalties? Uh, I mean, they are, they're certainly not a team that would be making a bowl game after being 1-11. and 11. Uh, He had a decent recruiting class, but I'm not sure that would have been the case. But there are going – I don't think that there's going to be an interim coach for long. They're going to probably well, have to get themselves a head coach. The the urgency, though, is you would have to find somebody and they would have to be able to put a staff together somehow, some way in a matter of a few weeks, two, three, yes. four weeks, because you're practicing in about Practices three or four weeks. Like, yeah, about three weeks. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll uh, the story is evolving. And it may even have new stuff now that we've released the podcast, but we've done a great job <laughs> here of giving you a lot with George Altman. All right. I want to bring this to a close in our conversation with not only promoting your current guest, but some of your recent stuff and then have fun because we're doing this conversation as the major league baseball all-star game is about to be played on Tuesday night in Seattle. We're releasing the podcast overnight, Tuesday night into Wednesday. First of all, you have a baseball guest on the podcast now in, uh, in Brooks Boyer, who's talking about a very interesting ride in sales and marketing with the Chicago White Sox ups and downs, including winning a World Series, as the White Sox did. But he ties back to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and give the little tip tease about ha- handing out the celebratory champagne to the Bulls right. back in the 90s. We took a little different turn here with the, having somebody of that kind of stature, Brooks Boyer, who's a marketing director, who, by the way, if anybody remembers, was a the captain of the Notre Dame basketball team in the nineties. How about okay, that? This is after this was with John McLeod and after Digger Phelps. So um, he, he was, he was hired by the bulls and uh, he wasn't the marketing director, but he was part of sales and marketing. And when the bulls won, I don't know which championship it was. Uh, he was the guy who recruited the champagne company <laughs> to be the advertisers. And so he's the guy who handed Michael Jordan the big bottle of champagne as he was walking into the locker room. It's a story that's very, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, to be honest with you, to be in that kind of position. And then he was hired by the White Sox in 2004, which was uh, Ozzy Dean was hired. And, you know, I, I, told, I told Brooks, I said, you really didn't have any marketing to do, did you? Ozzy did all your marketing. Ozzy was front page news. It made it a lot easier. Suddenly, the White Sox in 2005 win a World Series. In 2006, they draw nearly 3 million people, which is absolutely unheard of. They've been going down ever since. It's a tough job. He's got a really tough job. But as he said, my job isn't to make the team better or worse. Our job is to make the experience for the fans as best we can. And if there are not enough fans in the stands, it doesn't matter to him. He's still got to do it. So he's a very interesting uh, interview. We have coming up next week, Doug Glanville, 
mm. who I've been editing today, Doug Glanville, former major league player, yes. uh, a lot of time with the, uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies and the Chicago Cubs, who now does the ESPN Sunday night game with rotating hosts, including John Shabby, whom he works with occasionally here. John, of course, is the voice of the Chicago Cubs. But we're talking about a guy who is an educator. He is one very bright, bright human being. And people are going to really enjoy finding out what this guy is. He teaches a class at the University of Connecticut. He's got a show that he calls a class. This is a, a, a wonderful human being who is far more uh, important after the game of baseball than when he played. And by the way, he was a pretty darn good player when he played. And the fans will know him for being on ESPN a bunch, but ties to yes. Chicago with playing with the Cubs and Marquee Network and, again, the Sunday night game, et cetera, for Doug Glanville. Look forward to hearing that. And, by the way, we should make mention, while we were talking about Brooks Boyer, you interviewed Ozzie Guillen, a great two-part session earlier on the podcast feed. Go back and search it here on this Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed and hear George would tell me a story I don't know with Ozzie Guillen. Uh, also, Joe Madden, the Cubs uh, manager, uh, some some other recent conversations, including Dan Bernstein of uh, of uh, Chicago sports radio fame, uh, who's had what a twenty five plus year career in Chicago sports yeah. radio. He's been a recent guest uh, with you, so a great cross section. And you can go back and hear the big names like Bob Costas, like Mike Wilbon, that all tie somehow back to Chicago. You educated me. Costas began as a play by play TV voice of the Chicago Bulls in part in the 1970s in the late seventies before Michael Jordan ever got there. And of course, Bob Costas on the call for Michael Jordan's final shot as a Chicago bull to win the 98 finals, uh, the right. symmetry that was there. I got educated because of tell me a story. I don't know. George's well, uh, and, great podcast. And uh, just so people know, there will be a book. The book, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, will be released in mid-November. Love it. Uh, we're getting we're getting into that publicity stage This now. means, I have to interrupt, that I now have to refer to you from here on out as when that happens as noted author, George Hoffman. <laughs> that's that's going to be my new intro whenever I'm around you. Noted author, good to be with I'm you hoping, for the book. I'm hoping not to make the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, uh, I think you're going to be, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, again, that's that's coming later this year. All right, fun final moment or two. The baseball all-star game being played tonight. I don't know these answers. I hit you off the cuff. I still remember Comiskey Park, 1983 all-star game, Fred Lynn yep. Grand Slam. Yep. I don't know the answer. Yep. Was George Offman in the house covering yes. that? Yes, Ooh, he was. That was the that 50th anniversary 40, of the all-star game. 40 yeah. years ago, and my it man was, was there. For the Fred Lynn first ever Grand Slam in an All Star game, I actually when of course I you moved, were there. I have I have the, uh, the, the 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 game brochure. I kept that. That's just one of the very few things that I did keep. Yeah, that was that was uh, Atlee Hemaker, right? I think that served. Bingo, it up. big yeah. call on wow, that. I and really the, and he, that came out of nowhere, honestly. Well, and by the way, but, brilliant because we keep talking about this. The kids today, the Gen Zers, the Millennials, whoever follows baseball that's young that thinks that baseball began in like 2004, they don't realize the National League used to dominate this game. I mean, capital D dominate this game. I think it was 19 straight years. Yes, in the 70s it was and the 80s. Straight years. Well, but that year in 83, the American League broke through and beat yes. them. And yeah. now the American League dominates the game, which is the uh, which is the opposite uh, on that. And then I remember a World Series game with a rain delay late 1990, right at Wrigley Field. I don't know if you covered that one as well. 
that all-star game. And our buddy, my buddy, Rob Dibble, was the winning pitcher at Wrigley Field for the Cincinnati Reds for that Wrigley uh, all-star game. And, of course, the 1990 Reds won the whole thing. No, I don't know. Was that 1990? It was either 90 or 91. It was one of those years. I'm trying to remember. They had had an all-star game. Day game, wasn't it? Or the, or the home run derby was during the maybe day. It was a, yeah, maybe it was the home run derby. It was activities during the day. I remember. Yes. No. I was. I was in a lot of games back then. Not that many games anymore, <laughs> but I was in a lot of games then. And yes, I do remember that because you know that was the 50th anniversary of the All Star Game. Just think, in 10 years, it'll be the 100th anniversary of the All Star Game. I can guarantee you one thing: I will not be covering it. Yes, uh, George has <laughs> kind of dialed it back there a little bit. And by the way, Wrigley is in the running. Uh, for a future 2025 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. They have not announced it um, yeah. as of yet as to what location will get the All-Star Game. Yeah, Wrigley Field, 1990. And Rob Dibble, again, was the winning pitcher. I remember talking to Dibbs about this. Right. And, the, and then the Reds went on to win the World Series over the Oakland A's. Uh, and in the manager was Lou Pinella. Lou Pinella, right. Ties to Chicago, ties to Tampa. It all comes back to here. You know, Some it's great interesting. Stuff. It's yeah. interesting. I can remember all that. And if you want, I can't even remember what I had for lunch today. <laughs> it doesn't matter, my friend. You've done a great job. All right. One more time. We're plugging away on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. The podcast feed that you're on right now has great interviews. You can go back and hear Pat Fitzgerald in his own words, obviously in a happier time before all of this unraveled. Um, you can hear that right here on this podcast feed. Uh, and again, lots from Ozzie Guillen recently, Greg Gumbel talking March Madness back in March. Great cross-section of guests that George always have, uh, has had and continues to have. Your season eight right now of Tell Me a Story. Season eight. Uh, I'll tell you what we have coming up near the end of it. Uh, Curtis Granderson, another really wonderful baseball player who still lives in Chicago, uh, who grew up in the Chicago area and yet never played for the Cubs and Sox, but played for the Yankees and Mets. And then at the end of the season, we're going to have, ironically, the head coach of the Illinois football team, Brett Billima. Is yes. going to be on. He's an interesting guy as well. So while Pat Fitzgerald is gone, there is another school here in you know, Illinois, that football program is getting better and better, and he's going to be a guest on August 9th. Love this man for what he does. Thank you for giving me a ton of time here on this Northwestern stuff, and the story's not over yet, and much more. And George <laughs> makes a great point. The bungling of it, the handling of it, that's a big deal, and the reporting, again, of the daily Northwestern uh, reporters – that have stepped forward and and done this tremendous job by them. They uh, they again deserve to be named Lawrence Price, Diva. If I get the name right, Baharajad. I think I got that name right. Nicole Marcus, Alice Brown, and Cole Reynolds are the four or five reporters who've been working on all of these stories as Northwestern students, and uh, they continue to uh, do an impressive job of covering the Pat Fitzgerald firing now. And the investigation into who knew what uh, and where. Um, amazing media study out of out of this uh, as well. George, thank you. Enjoy the rest of the summer. We look forward to everything still rolling out with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, your storytelling podcast that's on this feed. Thank you for the time here, young man. Noted author. Thank you, young man. <laughs> Thanks, TJ. All right, so let's finish up on this edition of the podcast with what we like to do going over the good and the bad. I haven't done this in a, in a little bit, uh, but let's do it formally right now. Love it or leave it. Okay, truth be told, again, I'm a big golf guy, and I am fascinated in following this whole situation with what's going on with the PGA Tour, the Live Golf Series, 
And whatever this new company is going to be, details still not agreed to, much less laid out for the membership of the PGA Tour for uh, how this is going to work or the live golfers for how this is going to work. So on Tuesday, not just any ordinary Q&A, no, no, a Senate committee hearing that had two representatives from the PGA Tour sitting there, Ron Price, the chief operating officer, and Jimmy Dunn, one of the independent board members of the PGA Tour. They are two of the people that were part of the brokering of the piece. And that's what I keep calling it, and that's what it is. Uh, it, it is not an agreement. It is... It is basically a framework for a ceasefire until we can come up with an agreement. And both of these guys admitted that under oath to the senators uh, repeatedly on Tuesday at the three-hour hearing. They don't have an agreement moving forward for anything specific or particular. The agreement was you, PIF Fund, are going to be part of a new entity moving forward. And in exchange for that right now, we need the end to litigation, which is bleeding us by millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars as the PGA Tour to defend it. And most importantly here, stop raiding our players, the likes of Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, on and on and on. That uh, whether it's major champions like Sergio Garcia or Louis Oosthuizen or young up and coming golfers, stop raiding our players, our membership off the PGA Tour. It's a ceasefire. And then we'll work out the details and the agreement for whatever else happens next. So they they testified to that over and over again. I thought it was interesting. Again, Ron Price was very impressive. Jimmy Jimmy Dunn was impressive, but Ron Price was more impressive, very lawyer like with answering the questions. But they had to admit there are no real specifics and they and they were on the hot seat and squirming and without answers when a couple of the senators brought up the PGA tour should not have a, an anti uh, tax exempt status but when they've been making billions of dollars in revenue uh in the past that should be taxed and hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes should have been paid just in this century alone with the increase in their revenue their TV deals their ticket sales, their merchandise, their sponsorships, all of the different facets of it. They did get a little squirmy on that, but all right, some some other juicy parts of this on the on the love it or leave it because we're beginning to to find out some different revelations. One, there were ongoing discussions with multiple people from December on, including Rory McIlroy having a meeting with uh with a member of the PIF fund back in last December. So to to think that this was uh, somehow just completely out of the blue the last week in May, this had been going on for weeks, the discussions. And the problem is too many people knew about it. Too many people from the PGA Tour board that knew about it, uh, McElroy that knew about it, PIF uh, folks that knew about it under uh, Yasser Al-Ramayan that knew about it, lawyers, uh, a, a head uh, – a head, um, a marketing person and someone that helped facilitate the purchase by the PIF fund of Newcastle United. She led the discussion. She knew about it. So, so once you have five people, 10 people, 12 people or more that now know about this, the chances that it's going to leak are, are growing greater in addition to the PGA tour commissioner and more on him in a second. So they had to put something together and, and, and there was a flurry of activity back and forth, a great article uh, from golf.com. It's on the web Tuesday night. I give props to Sean Zach, who I don't know in the golf media, but he detailed 
a lot of the comings and goings and the paper trail and the emails, it's now part of the public record from the congressional hearing. Now, here's what's interesting, and I, I continue to maintain this and to be consistent about this. Be very careful in how this is portrayed, public relations and media coverage. The PGA Tour talking points, they very much want this portrayed as we're in control of the situation, we're in control of the new entity, and Live Golf is going away, and Greg Norman's going to be out. And they they originally wanted that in a signed part of this deal. They were proposing it, they, especially the part of Live Golf going away and Greg Norman being out. Uh, guess what, kids? Here, here are the facts. There is no signed agreement to that effect that Live Golf is going away and that Greg Norman is out. Greg Norman may very well be out, and Live Golf may very well not play next year, although I'm on the front end that's saying, and, and I have a source, by the way, that has said to me that in the coming weeks after the British Open this week, the Open Championship that's being played this week, golf's final major of the year, that you will hear chatter and you will probably see a 2024 Live Golf Series schedule. Just as they have said, just as Greg Norman told their players a few weeks ago, we're moving forward not only with 2024, but with 2025 plans of what we're doing. So stand by. I've, I've got a source telling me that. That that's going to get rolled out as they come back to play in the United States at uh, the Greenbrier in West Virginia and also uh, Trump's course in uh, the, the Trump National Course in New Jersey, etc. Just look for more about 2024 and the Live Golf Series. So this this whole talking points notion of what the PGA Tour wants to wants everybody to believe and not question and, and lap up that, oh, well, the Live Golf Series is going to go away. Greg Norman's going to be out. The PGA Tour is in complete charge of it. That's that's what they would love to have happen. That, that doesn't exist on paper. There is no agreement of what this is. Only the ceasefire has been agreed to. And these two guys were telling the senators uh, on Tuesday that that's all that has been agreed to. They said it over and over and over again. Um, and they basically had to admit here there is a time deadline coming up on whatever the new company is going to be and whatever is laid out. It's it's now been, what, seven weeks since this was announced. And it, at the point in time when there's not a new agreement, then we're going to go back to hostilities of the PGA Tour existing, the Live Golf Tour existing, and now they can go back to rating players. And let's see if that's what ends up happening. I mean, it's certainly in the PGA Tour's best interest to get some kind of deal done. Because they already cracked, as I talked about seven weeks ago. They already buckled in this. They've already shown their hand. We were going to lose, and everybody understood this. In a money versus money fight, we were eventually going to lose. Whether we lost in 2023 or we ultimately lost in 2024 or maybe by 2025, by bleeding tens of millions of dollars, losing more players to the Live Tour, losing events on the PGA Tour that you can't afford and pay for anymore, not 30 or 35 events, but now you become 20 or 25 events, because you can't pay for them anymore. They knew they were going to lose. So they got a ceasefire out of this, but really nothing more. And here's the other thing now, as the British Open is about to be played, and we now have, have found out that Jay Monahan is apparently returning next week to duties on the PGA Tour. Again, I said previously, there is unrest behind the scenes, and if you were going to make a move uh, without having it be public and nasty that you were ousting him, that perfect cover would be a medical issue, uh, some kind of concern that has him step away. And that's what was announced at 10 p.m. the week of the U.S. Open. 10 p.m. at night, 
They put a statement out announcing that. Now, look, I said at the time, and I say again here, maybe this was a significant health situation. I don't know. I, I do know these facts. The first thing is, it is amazing that we are still sitting here and none of the independent golf media anywhere has reported on what this allegedly is. So that says two things to the host of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Either number one, it's been kept so tight-lipped and it's so serious that very few people knew and everybody said, hey, it is serious, just leave it alone. Which again, it's a journalist's job, it's an investigator's job, it's a golf media higher-up insider's job to find this stuff out anyway, the stuff that nobody wants you to know, to find out about a PGA Tour PIF deal, to find out about what's going on in Tiger Woods' personal life as a public figure, as as was belabored back at the end of the 20-aughts and, the, and 2010 and 2011 and 2012. So either one, it is something that is so serious and so significant that, that, that everybody just kind of agreed to keep it under wraps. I, I don't really buy that. I, I buy door number two, which is a lot of these guys realize the PGA Tour is a monster with leverage. And if they cut off your access... If they cut off your ability to cover the game and have access to the players, that is far more damaging than reporting whatever this is with Jay Monahan serious or not. So I believe it is door number two in, in this case. I again repeat and reiterate, ask yourself this as you listen to me. If Roger Goodell had stepped away in the middle of a controversy with the NFL Players Association for supposed health reasons, Adam Schefter wouldn't have found out and reported what was going on? Jay Glazer wouldn't have found out and reported what was going on. Independent as um, NFL insiders and newsbreakers, and the same with the big-time media in New York, in, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in major NFL cities, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. They wouldn't have found this out. The same thing with the NBA with Adam Silver, by the way. Woj, Adrian Woj, Narowski wouldn't have found it out. Shams, Charina. Of, uh, of Yahoo, Rick Buecher, Mark Stein, all these different people that are plugged in as insiders in the NBA in different forms and fashions that don't work for the NBA or the NBA PR. If something similar had happened with Adam Silver in and around a battle and a fight with the Players Association and he had taken a leave, what was supposedly a medical leave, they wouldn't find out, they wouldn't report it, serious or not. What What's the situation? So I'm saying that for next week, it's now incumbent on Jay Monahan to discuss where he was and what went on and what is the health situation. And if he's not going to, I'm on the front end here of saying again, un unless otherwise debunked, unless otherwise explained, then it is more about what's going on with the upheaval behind the scenes. And you need to go away and you need to take a break and we need to take a break from you. And I, I genuinely believe that a lot of players on the PGA tour that are angry and upset thought they would have more specifics by now on what this is going to look like moving forward, and there are none. There are none as we're more than two months away from the announcement, two months past it. So anyway, we'll we'll wait to see what Monahan says or does. It's just, again, I'll use the word fascinating to me, the total lack of reporting, the complicit part of let's don't investigate, let's don't talk about it, and I believe it's more about you're going to have your access denied. You're going to have your access taken away from events, from tournaments, from being able to talk to players, to be able to do your job at a time when everybody is scrambling to try to figure it all out. So in any event, we'll see how that one resolves. Let's continue on.
Love it or leave it. All right, on the leave it front, a couple of things. Number one, as I do this podcast, they are playing out the Major League Baseball All-Star game that I referenced with George Offman in Seattle. We do know this, the Home Run Derby had a solid audience of over 6 million people, which still amazes me. It's just, it's it's a byproduct of absolutely nothing else going on on the Monday night of All-Star Week that 6 million people would watch. However, that rating number is down Uh, Our buddy uh, John Lewis on Sports Media Watch reports that a year ago, the Home Run Derby had uh, a rating of 6.9 or an audience of 6.9 million. 6.1 watched this past Monday night on ESPN and ESPN2 combined. So it's down some 800,000. It's the lowest audience this Monday since 2018 when the audience was 5.9 million. And again, We should point out the disclaimer that we keep pointing out the current numbers of the last two or three years measure out of home audience. So that 2018 number of 5.9 people, 5.9 million was actually a lot higher with out of home. Uh, Probably maybe as much as half a million more or a million more because of people meters reading out of home. If you go to a sports bar, you go to a friend's house in the present day. So let's just keep that in mind. So how did the home run derby compare? And again, I don't know what the all-star rating is. That'll probably come in later in the week. Probably an overnight on, on Wednesday will be out, but the full audience will probably be something like eight or 9 million, maybe more for the all-star game. But how does that home run derby audience uh, compare to some of the other things that went on for this weekend, the major league uh, baseball action on the field, on the Fox game of the week, on Saturday night, only averaged around 2.2 million people. So that's interesting. Um, Also, the NASCAR race for this weekend, for this past weekend, only had around 4 million people watching. The PGA Tour uh, golf event, the John Deere Classic, which doesn't have a very good field whatsoever, only had just over a million and a half people watching it for Sunday on CBS prior to the British Open. So it just gives you a reference point on there's nothing else on. This is on in prime time on ESPN. And uh, there you go with the, uh, and again, I, I believe the Home Run Derby has long out, you, out outlived its usefulness. Oh, and uh, and by the way, also on some of the television ratings, the debut of new San Antonio Spurs, big man, phenom, the next great thing in the NBA, Victor Wembenyama. Uh, that was watched on Friday night for the NBA Summer League by just over a million point two people. Uh, the Wimbledon tennis for Sunday had just under a million and a half people on network TV on ABC. The home run derby had over six million watching on Monday night. So there is the the reference on that. Let's continue on. Love it or leave it. Boy, we've been talking about journalism and the Northwestern students from the the Daily Northwestern newspaper and the job they're doing. It comes on the heels of the same week where we find out the New York Times no longer is going to dedicate sports reporters. They're instead going to use the athletics reporters, which the New York Times owns. I mean, we have now lived to see the, the virtual demise, the death, the continuing death of newspapers. The New York Times in the number one media market in the world now saying we don't have our own sports reporters. It's not worth it to cover the, what, 8, 9, 27 teams that New York has, professional teams, Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, Knicks, Rangers, 
now uh, Brooklyn Nets, um, New York Islanders, all the different pro sports teams you have in New York, and they, they're not going to have full-time people covering that. It's um, it's amazing what's happened. New, newspapers devastated in the 2010s, especially the back half of the 2010s, by Google and Facebook destroying their digital ad selling capabilities. Their own ineptitude is part of it, but the the digital ad sales component bankrupted the newspapers uh, for being able to stay in existence and fund and staff and pay to be able to cover news. So in any event, that's uh, it's amazing that it's coming to that. Uh, where where Northwestern students are doing a better job of investigative journalism. And as, as George Hoffman mentioned, the Chicago Sun-Times' case, they don't cover Northwestern. They they barely cover college sports at all. They cover the bigger teams, and that's why they're beaten badly, handily, by students at the Northwestern Journalism School. So in, in any event, uh, a dark day uh, in that regard. Love it or leave it. And finally, here as we wrap up the week, I'll be very interested to see how does it play out with the British Open? Will it be some of the bigger names like John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, who won at this course previously? Will it be a live golfer? Again, they've been right around it. Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship. He was leading the Masters. Uh, the likes of Bryson DeChambeau, uh, who's been playing very well in the live golf tour. Cam Smith just won the Lin- the live golf event in London this past weekend. He's the defending British Open champion. Will live golf get more publicity out of this for their upcoming tournaments that will be happening in August and September in the United States uh, by virtue of what happens in this final major? And, of course, we also have the Ryder Cup looming later. You've got Wimbledon playing out as well. Uh, at the All England Club with the tennis. Again, it, it's greatly hurt by the big-name Americans no longer being around, being retired, being gone, Serena Williams in the present. It's amazing that it's been 20 years, 20 years since an American male has won a major championship, Andy Roddick, in 2003. I mean, if you had told anybody in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s that the Americans, not just a single American, but uh, winning majors, but any American being able to win any of the four majors, the Australian French opens Wimbledon and the U S open it's mind by U S open will be the last chance for an American to maybe get a chance an American male to get a chance to do that. Uh, so in any event, the tennis will play out. The British open will play out. The baseball season will start back up. So uh, there we go. There we go. And that's a full edition of the show uh, here for this edition. My thanks again to George Offman. Tell me a story I don't know. The uh, great uh, podcast that he's got out again, Brooks Boyer from the White Sox. Speaking of baseball, their marketing and sales director. Very interesting story for this week. Doug Glanville for next week as we go along in the summer. So it was great to talk to George, especially about the Northwestern situation with pat fitzgerald's fighting uh firing and that whole uh situation unfolding as it has here over the last few days and continues to still unfold what a nasty problem you wonder if if jim phillips he made reference to this the acc commissioner isn't in more hot water for what was going on in his athletic department with pat fitzgerald and with this baseball coach that's also in big trouble although the baseball coach has been hired since Phillips is gone, but the the culture that was obviously there and the problems that were there. So in any event, uh, thanks to George. Keep listening here to the podcast feed to hear more of his great content. You can go back and hear Pat Fitzgerald again on this podcast feed. 
um, as part of the last word on sports media podcast. Also coming up uh, later in the week here in a day or so, you'll hear from Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen. They'll have more on the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, the NBA Summer League, all the announcers with the Announcer Schedules podcast right here on this feed. So make sure you're following, make sure you're subscribing uh, to the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Find out more at Last Word on Sports Media uh, from the Last Word on Sports Media podcast at lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. That's where all the content is. Lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. One-stop shop. Have all of it there. All right, with all of that out of the way, have a great rest of your week. We continue through the summer months where everything is slowed down. Uh, we'll, we'll have football back around before we know it here in a few weeks. We'll be ready for all of that. We're here to cover all of it, bring you great guests and more on this feed. I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with me on the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast.